Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Welcome back, Joe. We wanted to do a special edition of What Else is on Your Mind this week? Kind of a summer wrap-up for those listeners who may have taken a few weeks off from consuming news 24-7. This summer, we saw continued horrific gun violence with dozens of mass shootings, including in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, where more than 30 people were killed in less than 24 hours. We also saw President Trump on several international trips, including just last week with other world leaders at the G7 economic meetings. Now, Joe, as you know firsthand, in times of national tragedy and on foreign trips, presidents and the presidency take center stage. Some analysts and commentators have called Donald Trump's exercise of presidential leadership in these times, along with his ongoing Twitter wars, part of the, quote, incredible shrinking presidency. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think there are moments where the presidents rise to the occasion. You know, Bill Clinton at Oklahoma City, you know, with that terrible tragedy there, George Bush at ground zero. Barack Obama in Charleston after that mass shooting in a church. These are moments that are not necessarily scripted as in planned in advance, but it's a moment where the president earns his stripes as the leader of the country, the person who can bring us together. Donald Trump has consistently failed at this, whether it's on the international stage or here at home. Most recently on his trip to France for the G7, he spent more time fighting with people on Twitter and skipping meetings on things like climate change than being not even the leader of the free world, being the leader of the United States. So I do think we have seen an incredible shrinking president and presidency. I expect things to get worse as the situation gets more difficult for Trump as opposed to other presidents with President Clinton in his time. And as the as things got tougher, that's when he performed. That's when he shined. You can say the same thing about most presidents. This president tends to lash out and make himself smaller in times of crisis, in times of trouble, and even in times of great opportunity. As he looks forward to his reelection with the wall not being built, with the economy slowing down, with Republicans beginning to challenge him, I just expect this to get worse. We will see him being smaller and smaller and petty and pettier. So a poll out last week for the first time in Donald Trump's presidency showed more people think the economy is going in the wrong direction than in the right direction. And I expect that negative trend to pick up speed for Trump. It is a fundamental foundational problem for his reelection. He can talk all he wants about immigration and anti-Muslim and white nationalism. This is what sets the tone in the country. It always has and always will. And that brings us to 2020. We wanted to get your thoughts on the latest in the 2020 election. And before we get to the Democrats, let's start with the incumbent, Donald Trump. There was a recent analysis of 
Trump's job approval across several polls in 17 swing states, and the numbers didn't look great. Now, it's probably a little early to be predicting the outcome of the 2020 election. It was at this point for the 2016 election. But it doesn't seem like it's been a great summer for President Trump on the re-election front. First, the caveat is absolutely right, uh, Katie, which is it's early. Things change quickly in presidential politics. So anyone who says they know what's going to happen doesn't know what they're talking about. But this is the first president since Gallup has been in business who's never gotten to 50 percent job approval. It's just never happened before. We are in uncharted territory. If you look at the swing states, the, um, the, the states that propelled him to victory, the Wisconsin's, Michigan's, Pennsylvania, he is deeply underwater in those states. Most presidents work in a way politically that's you take care of your base, but what you spend the bulk of your time on is trying to make that base larger and make the coalition larger and bring other people in. Clinton was very uh, famously criticized for triangulation, what they called pitting Democrats against Republicans, when in fact it was trying to expand the base, which worked very well in the 1996 election. I think Obama uh, did the same thing you know, in 2012 when, when he was reelected. So the polls, you know, do paint a very negative picture, and and the trend lines are pretty uniformly bad for him. The economy is slowing down. That's a fact. Whether it's Donald Trump's fault or not is irrelevant. If you look at the economic indicators, we may not be in a full-blown recession uh, in 2020, but people I don't think are going to feel good about the direction of the economy, and that's the key part. When you look at George Bush 41 in 1992 – On election day in the fourth quarter, the economy grew at 3.7%. We don't see growth like that anymore. It didn't matter. It came too late. It was how people thought. It was what people's perceptions were. I think as we move into 2020, Trump runs a real risk of people being in that same place where the economy is slow, it's sluggish, not growing, and not benefiting people in the way that he had promised. He enters 2020 with a slowing economy and not delivering on his campaign promises. That's a hard place to be for a guy whose job approval has never reached 50 percent. You mentioned President Clinton, who we all know defeated the incumbent with his operating premise being it's the economy stupid. But we've seen a lot of headlines and a lot of drama coming out of the Trump administration rolling into 2020, anything from immigration to racism and women's rights issues and the border, as you mentioned. And is the economy going to rise to the top amidst all of the drama or is everyone just going to keep picking their favorite issue and it's going to get drowned out by the noise? The economy is always a foundational issue in in a presidential campaign. Whether the campaigns or candidates are talking about it, that drives how people are feeling. I think Trump was rightly criticized in 2018 for not making the economy then growing fairly strongly as a centerpiece for the midterm elections rather than the wedge issue of immigration. So I expect as the economy slows, which economists say it's going to and it already is, that Trump will revert to the campaign he ran in 2016 and you saw a reprise of it in 2018. It's going to be about demonizing people, pitting people against each other, suppressing vote across the board. He's going to try to win ugly because right now that's the only way he can win. And I, I'm afraid that he's going to make 2020, he's going to make 2016, you know, look like a walk in the park. 
Now, on to the Democratic side, Joe. We began the summer with Joe Biden as the front runner and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders fighting it out to see who would be the progressive alternative. A lot has happened, but has anything changed? If you look at the Democratic nomination process almost from the beginning of the year, much less the summer, it reminds me a little bit of a Seinfeld episode, which is there seems to be a lot going on, but nothing really is happening. Nothing has changed the basic dynamics of the race. Joe Biden is the front runner. Every once in a while, there's going to be an outlier poll that everyone's going to jump up and down and light their hair on fire. Last week's was the Monmouth poll. I have no reason to believe that the numbers were cooked, but the numbers showed uh, Warren and Sanders one point ahead of Joe Biden, and that's the definition of an outlier. Biden has a a solid lead right now, but it feels a little ice-like where we could break and crack very quickly. Uh, but that's where we were at the beginning of the year. We were beginning to see some drop out and drift away. Some are being pushed off the stage for the next debate. But I think we're going to go into the fall where we started the summer and where we started the year, which is this is Joe Biden's race to lose. He's got a very strong message. He is not the best messenger in the Democratic field. And as we move into the fall, we're going to see if anyone can emerge to expand their own base. Uh, Elizabeth Warren does very well with college-educated whites. Bernie Sanders is doing very well with non-college-educated whites. But if you look at the crowds, the huge crowds that Elizabeth Warren has been drawing in Minnesota and Washington State, they don't contain the constituencies that make up the Democratic Party. You cannot get the Democratic nomination without significant support among African Americans. And that's the challenge for Sanders and Warren. Biden's challenge is to show that he's up to this, that he can get it right most days. He's going to commit gaffes. There's no doubt about that. He's done that his whole career. But that he is physically and mentally up to taking on the challenge within the Democratic Party and then taking it to Donald Trump. Maybe we'll know as we enter the fall, but my guess is we're really not going to know how this race is going to shake out until we get to Iowa. Joe, I had one more question for you on the 2020 front, in part selfishly, because my home state of Georgia, Senator Johnny Isaacson, just announced that he was retiring at the end of the year. And now we know there will be a special election for his seat in Georgia in 2020. And Stacey Abrams also said yesterday that she would not seek that seat. And maybe in part, she didn't say this, but maybe in part because she has an interest in playing a role in a 2020 ticket. And I wanted to get your take on both her decision and the general call for several of the Democrats who could run for important Senate seats. Beto O'Rourke also comes to mind. Uh, And whether it is important for them to stay in the race now and keep being a part of the 2020 conversation, or whether it's actually political malpractice to not take the opportunity to try and fight for a Senate seat in a 2020 Senate that could potentially switch or at least shift the balance a little bit? That's really kind of uh, one of the most important questions Democrats face right now because, you know, we talked a little bit about Donald Trump's weakness, but winning the Senate back, retaining the House, but winning the Senate back is, is an extremely important thing for Democrats. If you look at what Mitch McConnell has done to stifle any progressive policy, to pack the bench, 
with young conservative judges. We're going to be dealing with this uh, for a generation. There's some good news for Democrats. John Hickenlooper getting into the Senate race in Colorado will be a strong challenge to Cory Gardner. Georgia is a very interesting opportunity for, for Democrats. The question will be, who's going to emerge? Someone like Sally Yates, you know, if she could be convinced to run, I think would be a favorite among the Democrats because she does provide the contrast to, to Donald Trump, given the way she was unceremoniously ushered out of the Justice Department. And you're right about Stacey Abrams uh, not getting in. There's something refreshing about Stacey Abrams. Most politicians, by nature, say they're not interested in the job they really want. And there are hundreds of people in the Democratic Party who would love to be on uh, the number two on the ticket, whoever the nominee is. And Stacey Abrams has taken the exact opposite approach, which is she thinks she brings so much to the ticket that she should just be open about it. And I think she's actually right. She did a really uh, remarkable job at the Democratic response for the State of the Union in a uh, format and forum that never works. And she made it work with a powerful speech. If Donald Trump appealed to the people who in the country who felt like they weren't heard, Stacey Abrams appeals to the Democratic side of the equation of people who are not heard, people whose votes have been suppressed. There's just something very refreshing about her saying, you know, I don't want to be senator. I want to be vice president. And I bring I bring enough to the table that I think that whoever the nominee is, they should pick me. And I think she makes a pretty good case. Well, maybe one day we'll add her to the mix for the contenders. But until then, the last question we want to ask you about is the great impeachment debate. When the summer began, we hadn't heard from Bob Mueller. Less than 100 members of the House were in favor of impeachment. Joe, what's the latest on the big question to impeach or not to impeach? Well, a lot of people did take the summer off. Katie, you and I excluded. Another group that excluded was the staff at the House Judiciary Committee. And I think there's been some very interesting developments over the summer. I, I believe that Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, now firmly believes that the president should be impeached. I think Nancy Pelosi continues um, to take the position that we just don't know enough yet. The public isn't with us. And I think September, post-Labor Day, there's going to be a very interesting behind-closed-door meeting between uh, the House leadership, the House Judiciary Committee, the leadership of the House Intel Committee, because there is now a very firm majority of Democrats who want to move forward with impeachment. There's certainly enough information and evidence. But the ultimate political calculation remains the same, which is should you move forward with impeachment when you know the Senate will never remove this president? There are some people who argue uh, the parallels to uh, Nixon, which is a slowing economy uh, in 1973 and a disaffection with the president on things beyond Watergate contributed to Republicans abandoning President Nixon, helping force him to resign. I think that's overdone. I think this Republican Party is lost. They don't know which way to turn, so they will stay behind Trump. And Trump may lead them into the promised land, triumphant, and the Republican Party will be remade in the image of Donald Trump, or he may drive them over the electoral edge. But they have bet the house uh, on Trump and there's no turning back. So getting back to the great calculation, are you better off allowing Trump 
to be vindicated in the Senate, or are you better off just continuing to hold, you know, hearing after hearing and court case after court case and let the voters decide? Anyone who listens here knows my opinion is that we should let Trump drive the Republican Party off the cliff and not get in his way and not give him a lifeline, which which impeachment I think might do. But even for me, that argument gets harder. When you start reading stories about the president offering pardons to staff, encouraging them to break the law, when the president starts talking about holding the next G7 meeting at his own resort, which will put tens of millions of dollars in his own pocket, when the president seems to be coming unhinged and there are no guardrails, we all wish we could be a fly on the wall uh, for that meeting in, in September when Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi and Jim Clyburn all get back uh, to Washington and sit down to decide what they're going to do. Well, we're certainly going to keep asking you about your opinion as we keep having the great impeachment debate after that very interesting meeting in September. Hopefully we'll get some sort of public readout, but we'll see. Until then, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Katie. Adam, I know you wanted to tell our listeners about a great new podcast. Yes, Katie. It's the 2020 election ride home. Some have called the 2020 election a battle for America's soul. Well, if you want to keep up with the latest developments on that important battle, this is the podcast for you. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins catches you up on what happened on the campaign trail that day. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction? What the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest and summarizes it so you don't have to be looking at your phone 12 times a day. So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. It's a great listen. That's the Election Ride Home podcast every day at 5 p.m. available from your podcast provider. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.